And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Richard Land, President of Southern Evangelical Seminary. Dr. Land, it's really nice to have you with us today. Well, it's good to be with you. And um, we had um, been reading a note that came from Hamilton Strategies, and it was um, sharing um, your concern about Obamacare and how that it penalizes married couples. And um, we've talked a little bit about Obamacare before here on the air, and so that really caught my attention. I thought, wow, uh, that's something I think the listeners would love to hear more about. And so um, maybe before we get to that point, perhaps you could uh, tell us um, your role and where you're located and, and what you do there. Well, since July 1st, I've been the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary uh, here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Prior to that, for 25 years, I was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is the public policy agency for Southern Baptists. I retired from that role, was retired for one day, (laughs) and took up a new role. Um, I am uh, currently um, president here and professor of theology and ethics. I'm a native Texan and uh, did my uh, undergraduate degree at Princeton and my Ph.D. at Oxford. Well, it's a great joy to have you here with us. Um, Obamacare has been receiving a lot of national attention. Um, People are starting to see some of the negative consequences in terms of either losing their health insurance or having to change policies, having increased cost involved. Uh, I went through that a little bit. Uh, Yesterday I worked with my dad in trying to work with him. He's a senior, and we were on the phone literally for hours trying to get this all straightened out for his insurance, which had changed. And uh, he's a retired IBMer, and so Uh there were ramifications there. And uh, from what we can tell, his drug cost is going to be going significantly higher. So um, there's certainly that aspect of it. But in particular, I'm wondering if you could help us understand why this penalizes married couples. Well, I don't know why it does. Uh, I, you know, I'm not making any any aspersions on the Obama administration as to whether they're doing this deliberately or not. But but the fact is that it does. Uh, it seems to it seems to not understand the value of marriage in other ways. So. Under the Affordable Care Act, the less income earned, the more money is available to individuals from the government to pay for their health insurance. And so, you know, in many of our low-income communities around the nation, marriage is now the exception rather than the rule, and not getting married is a major tax shelter for low- and moderate-income households with children. Let me give you an example. A couple living together who are not married could save up to $10,000 more on health insurance than a married couple under Obamacare because the health care law requires married couples to combine income and prohibits them from filing as two individuals. On the other hand, an unmarried couple living together can file as two individuals. So the Heritage Foundation reports that in order to receive a government subsidy, a married couple must earn less than $62,040 a year. 
Therefore, a married couple with each spouse making $35,000 annually would have a combined income of $70,000 a year and would get nothing in a subsidy for health care. In contrast, that same couple, if they're unmarried but living together, can file separately and could get um, up to $8,000. let us say they're both making $40,000, a combined income of 80000 but they would qualify for thousands of dollars in subsidies, maybe as much as $10,000. So whether it's intentional or not, the reality is that Obamacare's regulations and rules are discouraging couples from getting married and penalizing them, forcing them to pay more money for health care if they are married than if they are unmarried. And this seems to me to be about as counterproductive a social policy as a government can have. Mm. Because we know that marriage is good for children, it's good for husbands, it's good for wives, it's good for society. We, uh, in the past, have seen um, families that are broken and dysfunctional families, and the young people which come from such families have a hard time in society. They for one thing, they will often feel unloved or loved in an unbalanced way only by one uh, spouse who is now divorced or whatever. What is often the case is um, children are born out of wedlock and they don't know what home they have. I I agree. This is very counterproductive to uh, stable families. Well, it discourages stable family formation. Yeah, um, it, 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 it discourages it by financially penalizing people who actually make the commitment to get married to each other. And we know, I mean, you know, now look, I know there are single mothers who are doing a great job, but the plural of anecdote is not data. The mm-hmm. data is clear. Children who grow up in single-parent families are 35% chance of being in poverty versus 5% chance of being in poverty if you have two parents who are married to each other and stay married to each other in the home. That means a child who is not in such a home is seven times as likely to end up in poverty. And all kinds of other disadvantages. They are more likely to be physically and sexually abused. They're more likely to not finish high school. They're more likely not to finish college. They're more likely to experiment with illicit drugs. They're more likely to commit suicide. And the list goes on and on and on. We know men who are married live longer. Women who are married live longer. Children who grow up in the homes of married couples have far greater advantages as adults. And so we should be doing everything we can as a society to encourage the formation of stable families in marriage, not discourage it through penalizing people who want to get married financially. Mm, Well put. What we'll do is we'll take a short break. Today on the phone line with us is Dr. Richard Land, the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary, and we're talking about Obamacare and how that it penalizes married couples. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. 
Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Richard Land. We're talking about Obamacare and how that it does penalize married couples. Um, Dr. Land, one of the concerns that I have is um, the role of government. And uh, increasingly in the past, let's say, 20 years, just, just a round figure, I'm feeling more and more, and it gives you an idea of my age, <laughs> um, I'm feeling more and more the, um, it's almost like people are, are taught to look to government as, a, as a, a giant mother, as the ultimate one who cares for them and supplies all of their needs. And um, it may be hard to figure this out, but are there some guidelines in the scriptures that would help us understand the the biblical role for government? Yes, I believe there are. Romans 13 gives us the most sustained passage in the New Testament dealing with the divine the divinely assigned role for the civil magistrate. Romans 13 says that God ordained the civil magistrate. In fact, I can only find 3 divinely ordained institutions in human society. The first being the family, the second being church, and the third being the state. And God ordained government to punish those who do evil, to reward those who do that which is right. And to do, and, 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 you know, we are doing that which is counter to God's role for government when we actively discourage marriage instead of encouraging marriage. We ought to give married couples tax breaks, not tax penalties. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the oldest rules of public policy is that which you tax, you'll get more, less of. That which you subsidize, you will get more of. (laughs) So when you subsidize illegitimacy in single parenthood and you tax marriage, you're going to get more illegitimacy and less marriage. We should be subsidizing marriage, not taxing it, in order to encourage the the formation of stable family structures. Mm well put um, we certainly have a responsibility to um, civil government um, the the text you're mentioning here Romans 13 talks about paying taxes to whom taxes are due and 
customs, to whom customs, etc. Um, have you ever thought about, and this is a not a trick question, but I, I've thought about um, the fact that um, in God's economy, we have something called the tithe, um, 10%. And um, taxes, if they're, just a thought, if they're more than the tithe, it seems like we're setting up civil government, or Caesar, if you will, to be way above the importance of God himself. Well, I think that um, certainly for many people, government has become a substitute husband. You know, uh, 64% of single women voted for Mr. Obama. And I believe many of them did so because they want the government to be the husband they don't have. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think the government should be able to live with 10% of the income um, of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think that um, we need to get back to an understanding that people um, have a primary responsibility to take care of their own families if they can. Um, socialism is not only a very inefficient economic system that doesn't work very well in producing uh, additional wealth for all people. But in, a, in addition to that, it is morally wicked hmm. because it, it, it takes what were self-reliant and hardworking people and, and tends to turn them into um, people who are dependent and who are not productive and who depend on the government to give them something whether they work or not. Mrs. Thatcher made this observation numerous times in England as she was desocializing Britain and turning it back to a uh, capitalist economic system. And also the um, the portion that you were referencing, Romans 13, does go on to talk about the moral law of God, how that um, we're, not, right. we're not to steal. <laughs> That's right. That's um, right. And, and, you know, the government, the government often, unfortunately, acts in perverse ways. For instance, when the government legalizes gambling, the government is promoting what is clearly a destructive and antisocial activity that breeds addictions and causes financial hardship for its cut of the action. It turns the government that God ordained to punish those who do that which is wrong and reward those who do that which is right. It turns the government into a bookie. Hmm. Now, um, Dr. Land, um, Certainly, we want to be involved in, you know, exercising our vote and all of that. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. But one of the strains that I'd like to talk about is the idea that um, the health of a society flows from who the people are and whether they are of um, redeemed hearts or wicked hearts. Could you talk to that a little bit? Well, certainly, um, certainly God blesses those who are seeking him, and he blesses those who are uh, people of a broken and contrite heart and who are turning away from wickedness, and he doesn't bless those who are turning toward wickedness. I mean, Second Chronicles 7.14 is pretty clear. Mm. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin, and heal their land. Mm. Now, obviously, if people don't turn from their wicked ways, and they seek perversity, and they seek uh, that which is sinful, God is not going to forgive their sin, and God is not going to bless their land. 
Is there a reason to be hopeful? Um, so much is broken right now, morally and politically, uh, governmentally, in our specifically in America. Can you give us a reason to be hopeful? This is the time of Advent, certainly. <laughs> um, help us on this front. Sure. Well, I agree with my good friend, the late Chuck Colson, that despair is a sin for Christians. After all, we believe in the Savior of the world, who has promised to save us and is saving us, and has promised to redeem the world at some mm. point in the future. So we know how the story ends. In the end, good triumphs over evil, and the Lord Jesus is king. Mm. And so when we look at it from that, from that eternal perspective, then, then despair is a sin. Um, you know, to, to borrow from St. Augustine, we live in the city of man, but we've been born into the city of God. Mm. So we're citizens of two kingdoms. And as citizens of the city of God, we, all, we understand that the kingdom of God is here, but not yet. It's here already, but it's not yet arrived. It's here already in our hearts, but it's not yet arrived in the society as a whole. But it will. Mm. You're involved in training probably most are young people, I don't know, but um, that has to be very encouraging at some level, such that you can um, teach future generations how to think rightly about this world through the lens of Scripture and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Can you share with our listeners some of the things that you do there at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary? Well, I'd be happy to, and it is an encouragement. Um, When I retired from doing public policy advocacy, somebody asked me, well, are you retiring from the culture wars? (laughs) I said, no, I'm just moving back up the the line from a frontline command to a training command. I'm training soldiers for the next generation. And we do apologetics. What we do here is apologetics. We, We are about giving young people the ability to give people uh, honest and compelling answers to their real questions um, about um, why evolution is wrong and why God is the creator and why there is good and evil and why there are more reasons to trust the Bible than not and why uh, Christianity offers the best answers to life's questions. We're not here to train occupation troops. We're here to train Green Berets and paratroopers (laughs) for Jesus. (laughs) Um, You mentioned the culture war, and so that seems to be high on your radar screen. Um, What were you involved with prior to this, and were there some battles that you went through? Do you have any scars? Well, we we have scars, and we have uh, we have triumphs. Uh, we, um, you know, I've, for twenty five years, I was the leading spokesperson for Southern Baptists on issues like the uh, the, the pro life issue, and the uh, same sex marriage issue, and um, the whole idea of the sanctity of human life versus the quality of life ethic, and how that impacts the abortion issue, the euthanasia issue. Um, um, care at the end of life. Um, as Pope John Paul II said, there is a culture of death loose in the West, mm. and it has gone from the from the womb to the nursery to the nursing home to the intensive care unit, and it is anti-godly, it is anti-biblical, and we must combat it. Well, as you uh, train these students, are you seeing any go out and um, become involved, possibly, in government and serving uh, in that role? Yes, 
we have, and we are, and uh, we believe that's one of the one of the mountains we've got to climb. We believe <laughs> there are seven mountains in culture, as God gave this vision to Bill Bright and Francis Schaeffer uh, many years ago, and one of them is the mountain of government. We need godly people working in government. We need godly people working in business. We need godly people working in education. We need godly people working in media and in and in the news organizations. We need godly people working in entertainment. We need godly people in religion. We need godly people in every one of these areas uh, seeking to redeem and to be salt and light in those areas. And their work as they get involved in these areas truly is a ministry, and in the providence of God as he places people, it's as important a job as possibly the pastor. It's just a different role. Well, I do believe in the. I believe in vocation. I believe that God calls us to our vocations, and mm. I believe that Luther was right when he said that that if you're a carpenter and you do the best job you can of building a table, you can present that table as an act of worship to God. Amen. And you can present that chair that you, that you made as an act of worship to God. And I believe God calls some into the ministry. He calls some to work in government. He calls some to work in education. He calls some to be in the entertainment industry, some to be in the media and news industry, some to be in education, um, some to be in all of these areas. Um, We need godly businessmen. And um, suppose we have a listener, possibly a young person today, that says, you know what, I like this Dr. Land, I want to go to his school. How might they get in touch with you? They can contact us by going to ses.edu. S-E-S dot E-D-U. And just follow the prompts, and they can get all the information they need. We'd love to talk to them. We're doing courses here in Charlotte, and we're also doing them online. That's neat. That way that um, they possibly could even not have to move and, and take courses that way. That's exactly right. And our feeling is, is that the devil's been using the Internet for his purposes. It's time that we redeemed it and <laughs> use it for God's purposes. Jesus Christ is Lord over all, even the, That's right. even the Internet. <laughs> That's right. Well, Dr. Land, it's, it's been a blessing to have you on the program today. Uh, we've been talking about, we started talking about Obamacare and how that it penalizes married couples. And we got into a few other discussions. But, Dr. Land, is there any uh, wrap-up thought you'd like to share with our audience uh, before the end of the program? I would just say, where, you know, serve where you are. We all have a circle of influence, and we're responsible for how we use that circle of influence and how we influence it. And God has called all of us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And He's given all of us the Great Commission to go out into the world, to share our faith, and to teach people all things whatsoever He has commanded us. Hmm. Amen. Today on the program with me has been Dr. Richard Land president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. And if you wish to contact him and his organization, uh, their web address is ses.edu. And if you can't remember that, just send us an email here at the station and we'll forward your information to them. And Dr. Land, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and joining us here today on A Plain Answer. Well, thank you for allowing me to be with you. It was a joy and a pleasure. Quick reminder, please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer.
Thankful.